When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for April 29th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our podcast alongside the whole network on the RSS feed or at VoicesOfWrestling.com. And we have our own Open the Voice Gate RSS feed, and we are available on all the podcast apps and platforms of choice. It's your old pal, I'm Max Spears. I'm joined as always by Case, but we have a special guest today. We are joined live from Japan. Dragon Gate Jay. Jay, thanks so much for joining us. No, oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, as uh, as things are kind of like have slowed down to basically a halt right now, and you put out a kind of a fortuitous tweet yesterday, things came together pretty quickly for us to record. And I think like the last time that you you've done an episode of Voicegate when John was all around, it was like three years ago talking about heel units, just general history stuff. I think the idea, in case you're more than able to correct me on this, we're just going to talk about random things that have popped up and how your experiences have been with the company, especially now that you've moved to, it's not as actually on camera, but as a commentator within Dragon Gate. Yeah, I have never spoken uh, via podcasting platform with Jay before, and since 2013, I've probably read a tweet or from the former iHeartDG website, I've probably read Jay's words every single day since then. And every six months, Jay gets a strange email from me when I have a dragon system question that Mike can't answer and that Alan Forel can't answer. That's when I turn to Jay. So I'm excited. I just have a bunch of general questions for Jay. And I, I guess we can start off because it was just announced that the shows uh, leading into May, and we're taping this on April 28th, that all of the May shows are canceled. We've only really had the empty arena shows since Champion Gate at the end of February, beginning of March. Jay, since you started running Toriumon USA into what became iHeartDG and now the Dragon Gate English Facebook, have you ever had this much time off from the company? Um, no. Not really. Um, aside from brief period in 2009, where I quit doing everything 
for about a month. Um, otherwise, no. I mean, there's still stuff to do in terms of, you know, when new stuff goes up on the network or if uh, new, like Dragon Gate Records has been starting to put stuff up on iTunes and Apple Music and the other streaming platforms. So aside from doing that, I mean, this is the first time I haven't posted, had to post results, you know, at least three times a week since the 90s at this point <laughs> that's that's insane i mean that's something that you've you know in a way i you are the reason we're here because you know i've been leeching information from you for seven years now this podcast largely exists because you've been able to provide translations and i guess just to transition into your origins, but specifically with Toriumon, you know, this past year was the Dragon Gate 20th anniversary. And at the start of this year, there was the anniversary show that you were on commentary for. What was that experience like getting to call the Toriumon anniversary show? Um, I mean, in terms of the, you know, the commentary gig isn't, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, wow, dream, this is like a dream come true and everything. Right. And not, as much, but the Tory Munch show definitely was. It was pretty surreal. Um, I had, I, we were at dinner um, in Fukuoka around during for Final Gate, and we were talking about. You know, I was talking with uh, Horiguchi about the Tory Munch show, and I said, "Yeah, I'd love to do commentary on this." And it kind of got passed around the table, and I didn't think anything was going to come of it. But uh, then we the decision was made that we wanted to do Cork and Hall every month. And since the Tory Munch show was close to the February Cork and Hall show, it would have made, it made sense to bring Larry in a week early and do both shows. So it was cool. I mean, got to call an M2K match. I got to call Milano collections comeback. I mean, like I, like I said it during the broadcast that this is something, this is a show I've basically called in my house playing fire pro, <laughs> you know, so many so many times over the last 20 years so it was uh it was something something really special i mean if i don't get to do commentary ever again because the world never recovers from this and wrestling never comes back i still come out of it with a pretty good memory and i have to imagine that doing commentary and having just like a moment like milano's doing things in the ring especially given like how he's kind of been more focused on doing stuff with like Bushi Road, uh, just now head coach of Stardom, and his normal New Japan gigs. Like having him like show up there, like the response at least watching it was insane. Just on the screen, I can only imagine. Like in Cork and Hall, like was it did the overall feeling about this? It was like partly, at least my assumption is partly surprise, partly like just exhilaration. How was it for you to see that sort of comeback? Well, what made it cool was they did they had done the Italian connection match already. So since that was over, you figure there was no opening for, for there to be any, any other surprises for him to come back. You know, they had a lot Milanito out there. They had the music, the actual main event of the show was over so that people were, you know, they got to see Taru, they got to see some other kind of cool stuff, but the show up until that point was, I don't know what, what could I say. It was just kind of what it what it was on what it was on paper, you know, going in like this is the list of names of people who are going to be here, and we kind of we got what we expected. It wasn't any. It was 
cool, but it wasn't like anything super memorable. But then, you know, you get the big comeback at the end and, you know, he's the one, he was the one name out of the guys that were, that could come back, that came back. And uh, he's the one, he was the guy that people wanted to see. I mean, he was concerned that people wouldn't remember him, but uh, people remembered him. Jay, can you speak to a little bit of the 20th anniversary celebration that lasted uh, for all of 2019? You had Sugawara come back. Shuji Kondo came back, which, you know, I never thought I would see Kondo back on a Dragon Gate ring, let alone Ultimo Dragon. Is this something, if we would have asked you this, you know, a year and a half ago, could you have ever envisioned Ultimo coming back to the company for one match, let alone his now you know, full-time role? Well, if you asked me in the first three months of 2018, I would have said no. <laughs> if you asked me any time after, after May 6th, 2018, I would say anything is possible. Yeah, I just, I remember all this stuff happening in 2018, and I think this was probably the time I was most in Jay's email box going, I've heard certain things from certain wrestlers, certain guys in saying this. And yeah. It was a wild yeah, time. I mean, there, there was a, a company line that had to be towed at the time, so, you know, information didn't get out, but, you know, I think now that enough time has passed, we mm-hmm. all know it's pretty obvious what happened, and we're much better off for it so that was that was two years oh yeah sorry mike that that was we're coming up on two years to the day can you maybe explain the differences behind the scenes since you know certain camps have split away from the company what has changed at dragon in the past two years um well it's what, okay, this is one of those. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the 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 mental health of the company is much better than it was because the leadership is much more sound and grounded now. Um, let me. I'm going to go way off topic and tell an Okamura story. Sure thing. But, um, this is way off topic, and I just wanted to give kind of an example of what kind of kind of person Okamura was. Is that he would go, he would get into these periods of time where, like, if a wrestler wasn't performing well or if they were in a slump, he would become convinced that they were possessed by demons, and the demons were living in their back. So he would bring them into the dojo or his office. I'm not exactly sure of the exact place, but he would do like. Not like, I don't want to say a seance, because I don't know if that's the right word, but he would perform like a ritual where he would like whip them to exercise the demons, out an exorcism, to get the demons out of their back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I've heard plenty of Okamura stories through the years, and especially like this, but that's, uh, especially seeing, like we're talking about mental health, I could definitely see how the threat of having exorcisms being out of the picture definitely calms I mean, people it, down. At the, at, at, the end of, at the end of the day, it's just, it's a money thing. And, um, you know, when people get in, when certain people have, you know, it was his company. Right. It's the only, only way to say it. And when it's your company, you can do what you want with the money. And, and uh, and it also would seem like, at least like business-wise, it was 
decisions would be made on a certain basis because it was his money and not wanting to take certain chances or pulling. I mean, Case and I kind of have been doing a series of the last few months to keep ourselves entertained, rewatching Dragon Gate USA. A lot of that was like his money sending people out there. Now you don't like if it's your money, you're the person that's gonna say like, "I'm not seeing what I want to see out of it. We're not doing this anymore." And that doesn't seem well. To be that the case. was Dragon Gate USA. I mean, a lot of it became, um, you know, it not just his money, but in general, it became too expensive to sure. fly out. You know, this was 2009, 2010, around the time that gas prices spiked up, which caused airfare to spike up. So it wasn't worth it to fly all these guys out there because you weren't going to make the money back. So at that point, you know, the, the concept began to die on the vine and it ended up turning into, uh, you know, turning into the, a couple of Dragon Gate guys on a U.S. indie show. Yeah. Jay, uh, real quick, Mike, just uh, because we are doing the DigiUSA rewatch series, Jay, do you have any strong memories, good or bad, of Dragon Gate USA as a whole? I mean, I went to the first, the, the first show in Philly I went to, drove down with a, with a buddy of mine, and it was cool. I mean, like, I didn't particularly get along with Gabe all that much. Um, That's a reoccurring theme on this show as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, I, in the end, like, I, I ended up forging a pretty good relationship with um, the actual Dragon Gate USA president. Uh, his name was Satoshi Oji. He was a guy based out of Houston. He was, like, the main contact down there. Where, you know, like, when... Uh, Takagi was staying in Houston, you know, it was through, through that connection. I ended up becoming pretty good friends with him and through that ended up, you know, because he was, uh, president Kido. No, he, at the time he was, uh, you know, Mr. Kido, who's president company president. Now he was, OG was like his pick. So like I ended up becoming friends with Mr. Kido through that. So in the end, Dragon Gate USA helped really give me a path into, you know, becoming involved with Dragon Gate in Japan. So for that, you know, without Dragon Gate USA, then, you know, that probably wouldn't have happened. So that's a pretty good plus. I also had fun at the shows in Atlanta on the one WrestleMania weekend. I don't remember what year it was. It was 2011 because it was during Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors. Right. Those are fun shows. Yeah, I got to work the... Uh, we, were, we had like a, a charity table because the, the 311 earthquake had happened just happened in japan so we were selling stickers for charity so i got to hang out at the table and with stalker ichikawa and this guy came over and was like it's my birthday and i want to get chopped by a japanese wrestler so stalker ichikawa chopped him really hard <laughs> <laughs> the guy cried was that the hardest chop that stalker ichikawa ever gave in his career um no comment <laughs> <laughs> What's Stalker like behind the scenes? Because maybe it has something to do with regime change. Maybe it doesn't. But it seems like Stalker is maybe given more respect now than he ever has been. Uh, he's a nice. Ichikawa is a very humble and nice guy. Um, you know, having uh, certain people gone will turn up the level of respect for pretty much everybody in the company. So. Mm hmm. 
I, I, I've heard stories of bus trips with people in Ichikawa, so I could totally understand now that there's not as many many worries of that as well. And I think about... Yeah, well, I mean, Mr. Don Fuji is still around, so... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, on the uh, Empty Arena shows, especially the one that happened earlier this month, where Don Fuji just kind of made a point just to deck Ichikawa each, can- each time he could, just had me crack up just like going like of course of course don fuji is doing this like this is the most don fuji thing possible kinky horiguchi is trying to be like a a idol fan but don fuji is just going to be don fuji yeah you know it doesn't matter even though they're on the same team you know you should go and pick on punch (laughs) and then you could have somebody from the from the other side can come and pick on pick on ichikawa but do you know yeah. how the wrestlers Don, are Don doing by not working? Because I would imagine Don Fuji is having all sorts of issues, maybe not being able to hit as many bars as he would normally do. Don Fuji actually, believe it, I mean, he, he does like to drink, but he's a super big fan of watching train videos. <laughs> um, it's, uh, they call it Tetsudo in Japanese, which is like appreciation of like the rail system. And uh, I have to, there's somebody at my door, so hang on, I'm going to mute this for a second. Oh, no. Sorry. I actually remember, like, when Don Fuji went on to Twitter case, uh, and he wasn't able to post tweets because he was watching videos. (laughs) And I remember one of them was, like, he talked about, like, a train video, and then there was a basho going on at that time. And I was like, oh, you know, that makes sense. Don Fuji would really like to watch train videos. God, I love him. I love Don (laughs) Fuji so much. (laughs) I, I just, ah, oh man, just like the, the image of him and his glasses on the bus watching train videos makes me very, very happy right now. So, no. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I forgot about uh, 311 and that would have been around the main time because I remember I know that that was such a big thing, especially I know Horiguchi was doing a lot of stuff around his area for. Yeah, sorry. Okay, guys, I'm back. Oh, no worries. Oh, you're good. Oh, oh. I, I was just mentioning the case about how I remember when Don Fuji went on Twitter and he said, oh, I'm out of data for this month because I was watching Basho videos. And I was like, no, it makes sense. He's also watching train videos as well. Yeah, there's actually, if you go in on on the Dragon Gate Network and there's like that series where the guys are introducing all their finishing holds and like their, you know, their, their signature moves and kind of explaining the background on it. Fuji has a series of them on there, but they also have one where they ask him about his hobbies and he goes like into in depth about his love of the train system and his love of trains. Like it's a shoot hobby. <laughs> if I ever make it to Japan and meet Don Fuji, I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna go like bring like a small uh, Amtrak car for him, like one of those like little model ones, because I feel like that that would be the right idea to get on in his good books because he's someone that terrifies. Yeah, me. he it would probably pop him. Yeah. <laughs> so. It, it, you mentioned a little bit about the network, and we've seen how the network has really grown over the last, I would say, six months, and especially with like this Dragon Gate, uh, with the Torimon Generation series, like each of them like picking one of their matches. I know Case and I have both really gone back and did this. I'm I'm someone who has worked as an archivist before, so this is I'm going off script a little bit there. Do you know exactly what happens for them to get the footage this clear for like 99 through like 2004? Because I have not seen any like wrestling network be able to have stuff that looks like it's essentially remastered from what I guess would be the, the master tapes from Gaora. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, um, I, I figured I'd shoot my shot and ask because I've been wondering about this a lot over the last few weeks. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you have to 
remember we've never actually seen the master footage so we don't know what it looked like when it aired on tv oh sure because you know the first time we saw it would have you know if we saw it in 1999 it would have been on a vhs tape which is going to immediately downgrade so you know who knows yeah especially like with the sp and lps like they would be trying to record as much as they can and then the transfers over from the vhs's to the dvds like I can get all into the technical differences between that, but it was something that kind of like piqued my mind when I especially know, especially I rewatched the uh, Darkness Dragon versus DK the Puestas match, and I was like, Yeah, I don't think that's that ever existed anywhere. In I think the the tape that made the rounds that would have been you know the source tape for everybody was shit to begin with. So, oh, absolutely. Um, I was like, I could see parts of this arena that I was never able to see before when I saw this show it was just an insane thing especially like noticing the final stretch with kick keeping them his mask between his teeth was something i never noticed before and i was like I'm, yeah i'm really ha- happy about having the footage there or having the footage upgrade to this level that i think that's weirdly enough been like a selling point when people have asked me about the network it's like no remember like the really bad tapes that went around Nah, this is like mastered stuff so i it was something i yeah I I'd ask and now that we have about two and a half years worth of Torimon on there for people to watch it's a little bit more of a selling point than it was a year ago and it's like well you can watch 1999 <laughs> but now you know you're getting actually you're past numero uno and everything now so we're into like the real the real hot period of Torimon. jay is there anything that you would recommend a new fan that has maybe come into the the company in the past few years that has never really seen Torimon? is there anything on the network right now that you would really recommend they go out of their way to watch well, um, you know, like just mentioned, you know, the Darkness Dragon versus Dragon Kid mask match is generally considered the best singles match from the, the Torimon era, at least from the Japanese fan side. Um, it might be kind of weird to watch it without context. Sure. Um, and the same thing for like um, the El Numero Uno 2003 finals is up there now as Horiguchi's match. And that's another one that, like, as a match, it's fine, but, like, it doesn't work as much without the uh, entire show. Right. You'd want to see all the lead up to that. Yeah. But in terms of, like, individual matches that are up or things that you could see now, um, this month's Torimon episode was the first El Numero Uno finals. which works very well as a as a standalone show because it starts with the battle royal and with Mochizuki winning out of the battle royal and then he goes through and you've got like the dream matches you know like you've got him against Shima and then you've got Magnum against Suo which are basically the two you know the, the four top guys from Torimon you know having singles matches and then you get the big uh you know the finals between Mochizuki and Magnum which sets up Mochizuki as the big like the monster villain for the rest of the year so that is absolutely worth watching um god what else got picked on the i have to go and look and see what else got picked i know that the, the mochizuki contra mochizuki matches up as well yeah Mo- mochizuki contra mochizuki is up there that is um masaki mochizuki against he was susumu mochizuki at the time um I've, i have a pinned if you check my personal twitter i have a pinned thread that has um, an episode guide to all the episodes that are up there with some um, mentioning like the must-see matches. Um, 
Okay, from episode six, which would be the September 14th, 1999 episode, there was a Susumu against Horiguchi match, which was like just like an astonishingly great opening match. Um, and it was the first, like the first Torimon match that people set up and took notice that didn't involve any of the guys that were like involved in the, the first elimination match, like the crazy max and the Magnum dragon kid, like from that class. Mm -hmm. So that, that match is worth going out of your way to see. Um, what else? Um, there is a six man on from January of 2000 from uh, Cork and Hall show. It's uh, Crazy Max against Dragon Kid, Magnum Tokyo, and I think Tiger Mask. That like that match ended up like they cut that match down and basically turned it into the intro for the show because it had so many crazy highlights. Yeah, I think that was like one of the ones that was they used highlights into that like well into Torimon 2000 project as well. Like they still like the yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, what else? Uh, I know they 2000. uploaded the opener from World 2004. Uh, that was the Super Shisa pick for his top match, which is like a it's inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, but as an opening six man of that style, it is as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah. Um, they actually now have World from, you know, Kobe World from every year is up. Um, they were up for free for a while, but they're only for subscribers now. But there's a lot of stuff from, like, like you can go into 2003. There is the um, UWA trios match from World 2003, which is, like, the best trios match ever. Um, there's the three-way from World 2002, which is, like... Uh, you know, one of the prototype matches for you know the the three way six mans are more of a common occurrence in modern Dragon Gate now, but this is this is one of the prototype matches. I mean, there's there's a lot of different. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. That, I mean, it's if you're a new Dragon Gate fan and like you're really into Dragon Gate but haven't seen much of Torimon. I mean, since there's no new stuff coming out, I mean, it, there's really no reason not to just start at the beginning and watch everything. Watch everything that's <laughs> up there because you can see get to see you know the growth and the different um you know the different stages of these guys careers like um and some guys that you don't see anymore guys like magnum tokyo guys like sua who were gone before you know most people even before most people got into it you know you figure even if you put the you know the roh six man as a jumping on point for a lot of people magnum and sua were both gone by then so i guess magnum was still around for another six months but like you didn't see peak proper non-bloated corpse magnum so <laughs> that did, people didn't really need to watch much of the renaissance era to begin with yeah yeah man i mean the day, i watched some some stuff from 2006 not too long ago like as treadmill fodder and like just the dance was just so lazy <laughs> and it's actually kind of funny like contrasting that with like the last months of hulk doing the dance before he dropped it and maybe it is watching it in the DG, dgusa versions where it's whoever uh gabe sapolsky was able to grab but at, we just actually tonight finished talking about the uh, wrestlemania 2010 shows where it's just hulk going through the motions with a girl behind him just pacing back and forth and clapping and you can tell 
pretty like much that he was he was completely done with it by early 2010. Yeah, I think they made him come back and do one more dance in Dragon Gate USA after he had lost his hair mm-hmm. and had I don't because there like the timing was that he was going into the hair mash with Shingo that year where that was when he stopped dancing, and I think there was a Dragon Gate USA show like right after World. Would that have been Hulk was... the anniversary show? DGSA anniversary? It would it would have to be, yeah, because it would have had to have been the July show. Right. So like Hulk would have been there with like a shaved head dancing after he had announced that he was wasn't gonna dance anymore in Japan. <laughs> continuity. The USA was all about continuity. It, it it's funny, like the, the, the small things that were done really well and then the bigger picture stuff where I'm like, why is this happening? And it it's it's a it's a struggle with that promotion, especially if you're watching. Yeah, you, you know, it became a you know a a dream match promotion, and that you know every card mm-hmm. had to. It, it became a what match should I book for this show, and not a what match makes sense to have on this show. Yeah, type of thing. It turned into kind of like a PWG type of thing, where it wasn't a coherent promotion. It was just a super. It was just a super match. Which is type funny. of event. Which is funny because they were doing like this even before peak PWG by a good four or five years, which kind of makes one right. of Gabe's points about Dragon Gate being ten years above or ahead of wrestling really ring true. Up, uh, w- one thing like talking, you mentioned Magnum a little bit, but with like basically out of like the four big figures of Toriyaman, Mochizuki being the only one that's still around. I, well, one of the things, and this is actually a case's question, so I'm. I apologize for buying on this. Like we look at him, like Case and I have had argu- have had conversations and arguments with people where we're like going, "Oh, Mochizuki is the best wrestler above the age of fifty ever," and he is still doing this. Like so, like we view him as a, a legend. We're wondering, like within like the native audience and within the locker room, like how is Nasaki Mochizuki viewed? I guess more so within Dragon Gate and within the the native fan base. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> It's crazy, like the level he performs at at his age is crazy, and um, you know, obviously within within the fan base, you know, he's one of the most beloved characters and wrestlers, you know, period. And that's that's always going to be that people give him the up the utmost respect. But it's interesting to see now because he's been going out. He went to Noah, you know, er- earlier this year and was tag champion. That they're start that it's. People that only, you know, they know that he's 50 years old, but they don't watch Dragon Gate. So they're like, is then he comes and, you know, does a Mochizuki match in another promotion. And people are like, wow, he can still really move for a guy that, you know, for an elderly man. So it's cool to see that he's starting to get a little bit more respect outside of Dragon Gate by going out and wrestling in these other promotions. Are there any major disconnects between the way the Western fan base views a certain wrestler and the way the native fan base views a certain wrestler, because I know like there's been discussions on Shingo and his drawing power. Cause I think he was someone that was always maybe more favored by the American fans. Is there anybody on the current roster that you feel like there's a big disconnect in how they're viewed? Yeah. You guys like Hill a lot. And I don't, I don't understand. I love you. I, and I, it's something that, when like that class that that 2016 class came out and he kind of was just like in that one match and i think it was uh december 1st 
2016 where like he was getting to everyone's face i was like he's a little cocky prick and i love that so yes but i think that might be solely me i know case humors me a lot with that and i gave case a little bit of hard time about dia until the last few months so i'm responsible for the hyo thing so that's that's all yeah hyo's not hyo's not not that over but as far as like other let's see um you think benke um what yeah know. how's he looked at uh in japan because when he you know beat Pac for the title at world this summer you know mike and i had assumed that he would be the new guy in the same vein as any of the prior aces and he lost the title and has been kind of cycled back down the card in a way that i think is a little weird yeah you know i think people and you know not just in dragon gate i think um generally fans in general throw the word ace around really easily um it's not you know that's not a title that you can easily have somebody come in and take over um you know yamato is going to be is as long as he's around is going to be the ace of the company um the problem with benke is is that um he can't talk at all um like to the point where people wonder if he's actually Japanese because like his set, like he talks kind of, he kind of talks like a middle schooler in terms of like how he puts his sentences together. He was doing, he would do, he was doing a column for weekly pro wrestling on their, their mobile site. And like they all, they were like embarrassing. They read like elementary school, what I did for summer vacation type <laughs> of essays. I, I made and, Thinking of Benke, that would kind of make sense that he would be someone that's not necessarily the best at the written word. Yeah, I mean, he he did well as champion. I don't want to say that he had a flop reign as champion because he had some good matches. But at the end of the day, the fans didn't come with him because, one, I think they made a mistake in putting him up against people, against the guys that people like. You know, they haven't beat Yamato, they haven't beat Mochizuki, they haven't beat Yoshino as opposed to having him tear through, you know, having him beat Shimizu since he would, you know, Shimizu is the one that turned on him and hit him over the head with a chair. Why didn't he wrestle Shimizu? You know, he beat Eita in King of Gate, but it wasn't like a solid win. Why didn't he beat Eita at any point down the line? So I don't think they put him in a position to succeed in terms of having the fans go along with him. That makes sense. I mean, like Ada, I feel like is always this question mark of a wrestler, especially within Dragon Gate. That like, it did kind of seem like he would do more head hunting of Red, but instead it was okay. The people of the previous generation, like having him go up against uh, Yoshino, even if it was in Osaka, like uh, Yoshino's home prefecture, seemed like okay. Because I remember Case and I were always talking, like, are they going to like take the belt off him here? Because this seems like a place where you where they would do it. And I, I definitely see, like, the people they sent up against did not help facilitate any more, like, fan reaction or people going along with them. Yeah, and, you know, it, it started off on a really bad foot. You know, the, the reaction for when R.E.D. turned on him wasn't, you know, wasn't the best. But people were willing, you know, people are willing, Dragon Gate fans are willing to give you, give, anybody a chance but you know at the end of the day 
you know, maybe he's not going to become ace, but he did come out of the, you know, he can say he's a former Dreamgate champion now. And he's tri- he's Triangle Gate champion. It's not like he's not, not like he's, you know, languishing around the mid card doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he was on, he teamed with what? He teamed with Yamato in the Twin Gate tournament. They made it to the finals and then he became Triangle Gate champion not too long after. You know, it, it feels like he's done nothing because there's been no shows for three months now. But, you know, the, from after losing the title, it's not like he was, you know, just on the mid card, do you know, wrestling, you know, wrestling Conda in mid card matches, <laughs> which he did as champion. Actually, yeah, yeah. I yes. I, I, you see, like, that was one of the things that always kind of confused me was they had him and Chun as lone wolves and they were allied together and they obviously had like a little bit of a thought of, okay, these two guys are contemporaries to the point like merch was with the two of them and it kind of felt like is something going to like happen to like further elevate him? Like, is he going to start leading a unit, but instead he was facing Konda or he was having singles matches against uh, Kazma and just felt like, okay, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of that was kind of outside of the control because they, it was around that same time that Dragon came back and Dragon coming back ended up, you know, that ended up putting forward a lot of thought of, you know, okay, well, let's get out of this deal we're in now and let's make it into, let's make a new company. Let's get a new logo. Let's refresh the entire company. And if they had put a new unit together at that point, they would have had to disband it right. to do this, to do this. So I think it, it had a detrimental effect to Ben because he didn't, you know, they didn't get to have the hot unit debut, but yeah, and that's like the thing because when I like the cage match with the RED turn it was so reminiscent of what first happened with Yamato, or really first happened with BB Hulk launching Dia Hearts and then Yamato launching Trog Vanguard. That like it seems like that there's like beats and steps to pick up that did not happen, but it makes total sense if you're looking at like the overall company. It's like okay, we're doing our rebrand, we're doing refreshing everything, and it's just easier for us to start this off now doing the Generation War, which there's obvious reasons to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with, you know, Pox availability, mm-hmm. but in, in that, you know, they had to get the championship off of him at world. And if they, if they were going to do it, they wanted to have someone, you know, have a young guy do it. And they wanted that world to be, you know, okay. The, the strong machines are triangle gate champions and that, you know, strong machine J is the fastest guy to win a championship from his debut and he's undefeated. And, you know, you've got Eita and Big R Shimizu are the Twin Gate champions and now Ben K wins the Dream Gate, you know, and that it's all new generate, you know, Dragon Gate generation guys right. holding championships coming out of that show. But at the same time, for Ben, like you said, it would have been better for, for that to have, for him, it would have been better for maybe him and Shin Skywalker to beat Eita and Big Arshimizu to win the Twin Gate there or something like that. So you have the 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 logical buildup. Instead, he get he didn't go through any adversity. Mm-hmm. You know, he get Red turns on him. They destroy him. He comes back and then goes undefeated through King of Gate. You know, accepts help from Shin Skywalker when he clearly doesn't need it at that point. <laughs> like it doesn't like it doesn't make sense for him. You know, Skywalker goes whatever it was two and four in King of gate and comes and Ben can, Ben can clearly handle red on his own. So it didn't make much sense at that point to have it happen. So, you know, and then 
with Okuda coming in, you know, I know they needed to have Okuda go and be with Mochizuki Dojo for a while to learn to you you know to learn how to work the Dragon Gate style. Mm-hmm. But you know, with, with Okuda right there, it would have it made all the sense in the world to have those three guys be the new you know have Skywalker, Benkei, Okuda, and then maybe Ishida, you know, as like the new the new young guy unit but you know what, what happened happened and you know like i don't think i don't consider benke's reign to be a failure and all that but i don't think it was ever you know i don't think it was ever anointed that he was just going to be the ace based on that win like a lot of people thought it would be Jay, I've been re-watching a lot of 2005 Dragon Gate lately. I've started with the January Corken Hall, which I still think is one of the best shows the company has ever put on, and I've been going from there. And although you have the unfortunate departure of Milano pretty early in that year, you have BB Hulk's debut, Tozawa's debut, and the first you know, year of Shingo's career all in this very short time. And it's really exciting to watch the youth of the company there. And I feel like we're in a similar period with Yoshioka and Skywalker and Kota and Dragon Daya is from the group of young guys on the roster right now. Who do you think has the highest ceiling and can one day be looked at as a main eventer? I mean, it's Skywalker. Um, as long he's got a, a lot of charisma and he can talk. The, the, the knock against him right now is that he's got goofy charisma, mm. where you can't really take you can't really take him seriously. Oh, the Shimizu but problem. I, yeah, well, Shimizu's Shimizu's <laughs> different. Um, <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> Shimizu has more of the 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 Takashi charisma. In that he's funny like a clown, mm-hmm. but you know Skywalker, I think he he needs to come back and lose his mask, and you know because he's not a bad looking guy. And then once once he loses the mask, I think he's gonna he's the best candidate as long as he can stay healthy. Um, he'll be the best candidate to to take over in probably not next year, but maybe the year after. And, and um, also... oh, go ahead. And then beyond that, I think all the other guys have one, one or two major issues that things like Mino Ura. I like Mino Ura a lot, but like when he when he talks, he just comes off as a, a total moron. Yeah. And uh, so that's why you know, he was doing the Prime Zone hosting thing to try to give him a little bit more confidence and build a little bit more character, you know, as you know, as as a promo, but. Prime Zone has been canceled for four months, so that that plan hasn't exactly, you know, had a chance to to work out for him yet. Um, I like Yoshioka a lot as well. Um, he, he's good looking; he can talk. So I think if he can bulk up a little bit, he's got potential to be another guy that can not necessarily be the guy, but he can be a main event guy. He, he's definitely someone that I know that Case and I have kind of called him this. He is kind of reminiscent in a lot of ways, and the role that I kind of put him in is very similar to Susumu in certain ways. Like, at least, like, he is one of the more, like, consistent people there, at least entering, and you you would know more about, like, his ability to talk like this, but it does seem like him getting, like, doing this excursion now. I mean, sadly, it's now, but, like, him coming back, I could definitely kind of see him in, like, a Susumu Akosuka sort of role. 
Yeah, I hope it's I hope it's a little more than that. Um, no knock against Asumu. Obviously, Asumu is one of the greatest ever. But um, I, I guess if they bring him and Skywalker back together, you can kind of redo this Asumu and Kanda thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I, I see to see I see a lot of potential in him. He reminds me a lot of like Dynamite Kid or Black Tiger era Eddie Guerrero in terms of his wrestling style. I could de- I didn't put those two together before that, but I could definitely see it. Like that there is certain similarities with like ring style and like just the way they move that does kind of feel like Black Tiger to Eddie Guerrero. Now you mention that. Yeah. Yeah, he's got kind of like in a lot of people, like the Japanese people will say he's got like a Showa era face. Like he's got like the Showa era matinee idol good looks. So everything about him is kind of kind of throwback. I've never really, I haven't really talked to him to see what his influences or his, you know, what his inspirations were. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was, because he's, he's a little bit older than the other, the other guys from that class. So he might have a little bit more interest in like mid 90s New Japan. I can see that. Uh, speaking about this and how like the crowds respond to this, has this at all started to be reflected upon like show attendance, show attendance, or with I've noticed like I'm someone that I, I will watch Kyoto shows and Kobe Sambo Hall shows before this and really kind of listen to okay who's the crowd doing calls for like is this at all like representing like how the show attendance is or is this something that I know with the company that there's like generational changes within the fan base. Like, is does it seem like that? I I've always noticed that Yoshioka was someone who got a lot of calls, even the rookie ranking tournament. Is that starting to be reflected at all within like attendance and with like crowd and within like fan engagement? Yeah, yeah. Attendance has been, um, you know, there was the the down period in 2018, obviously after. Um, after those guys left and a lot of it, yeah, that was reflected a lot more on the, the bigger shows mm-hmm. because to remember in, in Dragon Gate, in, in Japan in general, not just Dragon Gate, but speaking from the Dragon Gate perspective, that a lot of tickets, ticket sales are mostly hand to hand in that, you know, wrestlers selling them to either sponsors or selling them directly to fans. And with you know the the owner in particular with the, with the owner leaving you know the owner's personal connections and all the tickets that he would hand out and then the the, the top name leaving and all the you know the, the tickets that he would sell individually you know just to his personal you know to his sponsors and to his fans losing that alone is a massive hit and then you combine that with the fact that the company just was not you know had gone into a creative slump starting with, you know, around the time the Jimmys were disbanded and everything that was going on around that, when there was starting to be that stagnation kicking in. But around the time that Pac came back and RED formed, things started to pick back up. There was a, I guess it would have been in December 2018, around the time that Pac came back, there was a show in Shizuoka that was like super depressing. There was only like 120 people there or something like that. I don't remember the exact number. But then, you know, the rookie ranking tournament happened and the, you know, the young guys were getting young guys were getting the push and things were starting to come together a little bit and by the time they came back to Shizuoka again in in March, like the place was sold out. So it was it was it was cool to see. I mean, there's still, you know, Corican is still pretty much sold out every month. Um, 
the attendances in Kobe and, you know, Ensemble Hall and in KBS Hall are doing a little bit better. Now, you know, house shows can be hit and miss, but there's, there's an enthusiasm now. Um, unfortunately, we really haven't had, we really didn't have a lot of time to see how the, the three-way, you know, the three-way generation war was hashing out because we only got about six weeks of shows out of that. Right. So there wasn't a lot of time for people to pick sides. But Dragon Daya is is getting popular. Yoshioka was popular. Ishida was super popular before he joined R.E.D. Um, I remember noticing you know, Ishida, that, that was insane, especially Ishi- during the ranking tournament, his calls. Yeah, you know, he was getting insanely popular um, before he turned. Now, I mean, now people, you know, people still like him now. And the, the thing about here... Thing about Japan is you know, turning heel doesn't necessarily negate your fan base. It, you know, it just means that you know your fans have to buy merch for a different unit, which is you know how you make your money. So, um, really, those guys, I mean, Dragon Daya especially, um, you know, there's the half that think that are tired, you know, that are tired of the super push, but then on the, there's the other half which are like, "Wow, this guy's crazy. This guy, you know, this, he, it's amazing how." how much he's leveled up over the last couple months and you know he's he can beat Kanda regularly he can beat Kagetora regularly and it's really important for there to be you know for there to be another small guy in a dragon mask that can be inspirational to kids and it's I'm glad that it's starting to pay off this quickly yeah that was like one of my initial things and uh, this was something that Case and I would go back and forth with on like the idea of having the heir to Dragon Kid who was the heir to Ultimo like having the smaller guy in the mass, like that is such an important thing. And then I'm really glad how he's taken off, especially really since he was able to kind of get, get over his, I know he had real bad influenza and then in, he was injured a little bit, but like him putting it together, basically like my confidence and like, okay, this is going the right direction is completely, I, I'm completely comfortable with it. And I think he's someone that the more that I've seen him, I'm more like if there, if this MLW thing ever works out, I'm hoping he's one of the guys to come over here because this guy, even though he's like super small, could be insane, and I think Western fans would pick up on it. Yeah, I, I think so too. And um, I was talking, uh, this would have been actually the same conversation with Horiguchi where I was talking about the Torimon reunion show. And we were talking about some of the different guys, like you know, like Ishimori and Sugi. And, you know, the guys that were considered the super, the super athletic um, or, the, you know, the spectacular guys from 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 that time. And I think uh, Lenny, Lenny was showing him uh, clips of uh, who's the guy from AAA that does all the crazy stuff. Uh, Vikingo. Vikingo. Yeah, he was showing him clips of that. And Horiguchi just looks at it and says, Daya can do all of that. <laughs> I would like to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, who knows what else he still has to show. I mean, obviously he has to pick, he has to take the Dragon Rana at some point. Right. Or maybe like a, like a springboard Dragon Rana or something like that. So it, it feels like based on the expectations behind him, we've only, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, in terms of what he can do. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, hopefully that there, hopefully there is still wrestling. Yeah, it, it's something that, like, I do a lot of stuff following with, like, AEW and how it's done there. Like, it's 
you, you know with, with like the situations going on around here it's something that everyone's kind of like sitting on hands being like well they have to make tv and whereas Dr- dragon gate it, it seems it's like well i know that something needs to be aired on Gaora, but we're going to try to do this in a way that at, at least for the the two uh empty ranch shows that i saw that i thought that it was incredibly interesting how it felt more like a big like territory wrestling studio show more so than anything else i saw in the states yeah I, the first one especially was really well done um this the second one um was also was also good but it had the the atmosphere was a little bit different in at least in in the arena it felt a little bit more grim sure because it was like we know that this is the last time that we're all going to be getting together for the near future mm-hmm. type of thing larry didn't handle it very well um <laughs> <laughs> you know, from, from, from his perspective you know he's worked you know larry's worked so hard to get back here and sure. now to lose it from something that's totally out of his out of his control you know larry i know you're gonna listen to this so we love you keep your head up we'll see you again soon don't worry about it but um i mean i don't i don't know I mean, none of the promotions in japan are safe right now you know new japan is losing a fuck ton of money every month you know, I mean, people think that, you know, the Bushi Road and cyber agent companies are safe, but like Stardom and New Japan are losing a lot of money. DDT loses half a million dollars every year when they're running shows. Um, Noah had to be purchased because they weren't profitable. And then you've got the other indies, you know, like Michinoku Pro going on their Twitter saying, we can't pay salary this month. Please buy stuff off our online shop. And oh, wow. guys like, um, like, I think the tweet got deleted, but it was on their official Twitter. And guys like um, Onrio, who runs 666, saying, you know, we have to keep going because if we stop, we die. Yeah, that was something I noticed, like, with Big Japan, that was, like, a big, at least, Western conversation was since they were going, everyone's like, oh, they have to or they're done. Yeah, Big Japan was in, Big Japan's in a lot of trouble. I mean, they had to, they had to crowdfund to get their bus fixed. Um, mm. And just continuing to do shows into... You know, forcing their way to doing those Hokkaido shows, they took a really big hit reputation-wise. So, like, Big Japan has kind of fallen down into that, like, group with, like, zero one of low-reputation groups now to where they're probably going to lose fans just because they did it. Hey, um, just for something that I've, I've been asked, and I felt like I got a little bit of a handle on this, uh, without getting like i know there's certain things that are way above your pay grade within like when the regime change happened i know that it was like mentioned that gayora was more involved and gayora is owned by like mbs and like is this is that what we're looking at uh, as like the ownership situation currently in the company or is it still kind no, of... the, co- the company's the dragon gate is owned by dragon gate I mean, okay it's an independent company but gaura does the i mean they're just they've got the the tv contract and that's where a lot of the money comes from okay it it handles all all the all the production all the production side stuff is handled by gaura yeah it was something that like i remember hearing and then like looking up and and, like i saw like ownership gaura a a long time ago and i know through like talking with you with the situation with with previous regime being sole owner and i guess now it's more collaboratively owned by the company so that makes a lot more sense yeah it's just that you know gaur handles all the production costs and the production cost is such a huge chunk that mm. you know if they had had to handle production costs individually it would you know the company would not necessarily be sustainable on the business model that they're on and you know gaur 
you know, Gower is a TV channel that their lifeblood is baseball and they're right. no baseball right now. You know, they had like four hours of drone racing on in their baseball slot the other day. <laughs> That's not. Okay. And like they're um, the Gower, the, the, the Gower president had uh, put out an edict in towards the end of uh it would have been, I guess, middle of March. Because if you remember the, the the Wrestle One show from the Otaku Wrestle One show right. ended up not, not being aired because Gower said, we're not sending any production people to anything that has fans. So that completely, like, yeah. Yeah, like we were going to do at the time, um, would have been this would have been March 22nd the Kobe Sambo Hall on March 22nd, because this is when we were still kind of running under the idea that we would be able to run Corican Hall on April 8th. And we were talking with the Gower people and, you know, the Gower people, the production people wanted to do it, but the, you know, the, the Gower president was like, absolutely not. If there's going to be fans, we're not sending people there. So it was kind of an issue. I mean, the show ended up being canceled, so it wasn't an issue, but well, when there when there are fans in the building, who is making up the current Dragon Gate fan base demographic? Um, it's a mix. I mean, it's still I mean, obviously it's still going to be mostly women. Um, a lot of it's still a lot of families though, and uh, basically it works like this. You know, Dragon Gate kind of has the reputation of being the cat lady promotion. Um. Which, fair or unfair, probably is pretty accurate. I, I but, mean, I've watched enough shows at Kobe Lapis Hall to, to say, like, that is a lot of it, you know? Yeah, you, you know, it's like, people kind of compare it to, like, okay, like then you go to a Joshi show, and Joshi show is all, you know, like, creepy middle-aged guys, right? Mm-hmm. And people say, okay, well, you know, what's the difference? And just by by virtue of having the reputation of being a place where there's a lot of females are congregating, that means male fans are going to be more li- likely to come. And other females are more, you know, they'll feel more comfortable coming. So you get, you know, you get you get the cat ladies, but then you also get the families, like the girls that have been Dragon Gate fans for years that are now married and have kids. They still come to shows. Um, you also get a lot of younger... I don't maybe late twenties, early thirties, regular salary men. Really, and then a lot of them will a lot of them will come in in kind of groups, um, especially in the orange seats where I when I'm there as a fan, um, where I sit. There's usually like this huge row behind me of guys that will do that just won't that, that do like real time commentary themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like super super loud but like they're super like s- like super educated though like where they call the moves and say oh this you know that's the such and such and then there'll be like usually a lapsed fan with them that says oh wow he can still do that that type of thing so it's not just like they're not surviving on the cat lady audience i think it's much more diverse now than it uh maybe would have been during the like the contracted periods you know when like the fan when it's when it's down like in two, you know 2018 it was mostly cat ladies mm-hmm. but then once it gets once it starts to get interesting again the cat ladies either bring you know the girls either start bringing dates or there's just people that come to check it out and stay and there's also i mean i can't 
discount the fact that, you know, in 2018, there were a lot of freebies being passed. You know, there were a lot of, you know, um, a lot of papering done on certain shows just to get people to come in and get eyes on it. But it, but it's paid off. I know the guy jeans that have been over there. have talked a lot about how Drangate is really a, a family of a promotion and people set the ring up and they tear the ring down and wrestlers are selling merch, you know, during and after the show. Oh yeah. Is that, is that still the case? You know, does, oh, does everybody have to put the uh, ring up or is someone like Fuji or Mochizuki like, nah, I'm good. Oh no, they're out there. They're out there. I mean, Ben K when he's champion is out there tearing the ring down, loading it in the truck. I mean, everybody is uh, the heels. Don't the heels don't. So if you're a heel, you don't have to do that stuff. Yeah, I remember that because, being such a big deal when uh, Doi turned that he was finally doing autographs after the show because you don't go out there when you're a heel. Exactly, exactly yeah. Um, so everybody chips in. I mean, from the top all the way to the bottom. I mean, you know, President Keto is out there at every show selling tickets by hand. You know, he's the one that works the ticket table along with Maury. Um, so there, there is nobody in the organization that doesn't chip in during a show. Is it still a case I remember it being the big deal that Hulk did a lot of the graphic design. Like, is it something that you still see? Like Hulk was the person who did the design for Mad Blanky. Like, is it more individualized there or some, which is more just everyone together, like saying, Hey, this looks cool. Uh, if it goes with this. Hulk, Hulk does a lot of uh, self-production. Like, like if he's involved with something, he'll do a lot of the design for it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at um, right around the time the show started getting canceled, there was a huge wave of new merchandise up on the online store, which is just to get off topic real quick. If you are a fan of a promotion right now, the way to support them is to either buy stuff or subscribe to their network. So not just Dragon Gate. If you're a fan of any sort of other wrestling promotion, you know, if you can afford it, chip in and, you know, do something to throw some money their way. So in Japan, a lot of it right now is doing the online, you know, the online store business is super important. And there was a huge slew of new RED stuff that was all Hulk drawn. Really? Then, I'll check like, that K- out. Yeah. Yeah. KZ also did. KZ also does a lot of stuff. So there was some for the Dragon Gate generation. I think there were like these pin, these like uh, buttons that were all done by KZ. And then Rio Saito came in with some like horribly drawn stuff for the Torimon generation. But it was more <laughs> of a gag. Yeah. I, I remember like, was it Susumu as a horse was one of them? Or was... um, it's, a, it's an egg, he's an eggplant. Okay. Susumu's an eggplant. That's the, that's the joke. Um, also, um, Mr. Nakazawa from Dragon Gate Records, he does, he's generally responsible for a lot of the visual direction of the company, like a lot of like unit logos that mm-hmm. aren't done by someone ind- individual within the group. It'll be Mr. Nakazawa that does it. He also does all of the, like the layouts for programs and CD packaging and all of that. So I have two very quick nerdy questions that I've, I know last time we talked, I had to ask you about Koji Shishido because that was something that always, he was someone that always caught my eye. One of my nerdy questions. Okay. What's the deal with the, uh, with the Bulls baseball team that they always do the, that they always do an exhibition baseball game with? Like I know Yoshino, of course, baseball, big baseball guy, but who also in DG, like when they go out and does it, it's a surprisingly good baseball player. Um, at the, in the first one, it was Yamamura. Um, but then, okay. like Yamamura, Yamamura got hurt. But mm-hmm. yeah, Yamamura was a star baseball player at the time. Yamato gets gets a lot of gets a lot of shit for being exceptionally bad at baseball. <laughs> um, well, he can't be great at everything. <laughs> yeah, 
But I mean, that, that whole thing is basically just, you know, Yoshino is a huge baseball fan and that's like the local, you know, it's like the local all-star team of alumni. So, you know, it's like a, cha- a charity, they do, they do it for charity. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. So you brought uh, Mr. Nakazawa, Dragon Gate Records. Uh, I, I know if some of, the, some of the guys have the links all the way back to FNW and I've noticed that he's been, see someone that always like posts like Hayabusa masks and especially on anniversaries like this. Was he someone who was also involved in FNW that came over with them when, when a lot of them did and with Toramon? No, he came in, he was, a, he was the sound guy for, Oh, what was it? So the, the original sound guy was, God, I don't remember this off the top of my head. But no, he wasn't in FMW. He was just someone that became good friends with Hayabusa later. Okay. Remember Hayabusa came in as like an ambassador right. type of deal with Dragon Gate. And I think that was, um, it was, there were musician ties there because Hayabusa was doing his music career at the time. So they became very, very close friends around that time. But Nakazawa came to Dragon Gate in 2003 was when he officially joined. Okay. Um, let me think. Around the time that, uh, no, because he was around for T2P. I think I have my timing wrong. He was there before, but then like officially joined in 2003. And it was around the time they switched over to starting to do in-house themes would have been the time that he officially became like a full-time Torimon guy. Oh, that, that Okay. Because before that, you know, they were just using, you know, like the Budokan Hall show, 2003, the 2003 Budokan Hall show, where they was like kind of the the demarcation point. That was the last big show where they were using um, like licensed music. And mm-hmm. then starting with um, the Yoyogi show that year is when they started switching over to using in-house music. That's something I've always kind of wondered, but especially like with like the Tori Mon reunion, you you can't have uh, M2K theme play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a big thing. Like that's we're not gonna if there's a, for the next one, we're not gonna be we're not gonna be able to do it on the network because it's just it's not it's not worth it because of all of the muting that we have to do. You have to constantly hit the button, so it's just it's not. We can do it on Gaura because you can play the music, but we were not going to be able to do it as a network, as a network show. I, I will admit, I did try to seek out, a, and I did find the Gaura so I could see the full M2K entrance with the theme, just because, like, I have oh, to yeah, experience yeah. that, you know? All all the TV from, like, all of the, the celebration matches from last year to, like, the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. matches, it's worth tracking down the uh, the, the Gaura versions to get the, get the entrance music. So... Absolutely. I have one last question, and I think we'll we'll bring this in for a landing. Speaking of like the anniversary celebration, were there any guys that you were hoping to make an appearance that sadly weren't a part of it? Like I'm someone that was always a big Taku Awasa fan. I know he's completely done now, but I was like, oh, they were doing Florida Brothers. It's been great to see Awasa participate somehow. Was there anyone that you missed out on? Yeah, I was hoping that Iwasa would come in too. I mean, I expected it to be as Michael, so mm-hmm. just to be you know a total no contact comedy match because there was like he they they made the offer to him and he like he went back in the gym but it just just didn't happen yeah um otherwise geez who didn't who didn't show up um i mean like ishimori considers torimon to be like a black 
you know, a black mark on his history. So he was not, he's not going to show up on anything. Um, Sugi, I mean, you can't, ha- he can't show up. Like you can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, Sua, you know, Sua thankfully is alive, but like Sua is not, you know, physically not in good shape. So he can't, I mean, he can't even make an appearance. Yeah. Magnum, Magnum has been out of wrestling for 10 years now and, you know, he probably can't come back. I, um, I, I saw a photo Tar- of Magnum Tar- a bit, a bit back in it. I talk about two, 2006, him looking a little pudgy. I saw the photo of him like, yeah, leave the memories alone, Magnum. Yeah. He's living, he's, you know, he's got his, he's got his, his, his dojo and, you know, he's doing well. Um, you know, Taru ended up coming back on the reunion show. Um, I was surprised at mm-hmm. that actually. I didn't know, I didn't know Taru would be there until the, the day of the show. And, um, gosh, I mean, no, that's really it. I mean, there's nobody else worthwhile. I mean, Milano came back. Obviously, Milano wasn't going to come back for a match. Right. Um, Fukumasa can't come back for a match. Um, and really, the, I mean, the, the Torimon X guys, let's see, like the, Bra- the Brahmin twins won't come back. Like, they don't, they're, they're still a grudge there. Um, geez, who else? Yeah, I, I guess like the one I was really hoping for, and of course, like you brought up was, and I brought up was Awasa, and it, it's a shame. Like that, he's someone that when people ask me about uh folks to check out that they might not have caught him, like go watch some Oriwa matches. That was like a really yeah, big time for me. That, that two thousand six two thousand nine period, you know, up until he got hurt. I mean, he was he was one of the best in the company mm-hmm. at the time. Um, it's too bad. Yeah. Gosh, I'm still trying to think of other names. Like Tajima, I mean, fucking T- Hisamaru came back. I mean, Hisamaru was... was a surprise. That was, I was like, I thought, yeah, you... he's so fat. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were, I was like stunned, but I guess he, he was, um, he uh, ran an udon shop for the longest time. But now he does he does sushi, and uh, he does like a traveling, like he like a traveling sushi exhibition. Like he goes around to the different department stores and sells sells his stuff. And I guess he's living and eating good. Hey, I and mean that's what that's what he said. He got he got super fat. I mean that was always his he that was always Hisamaru's thing though. He was like uh, son, the son of a uh, the son of a rich like rich father. Mm-hmm. Like his father was like super rich, and uh, this is totally totally off track here. But we're talking about people that don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about Hisamaru Tajima. Tajima. He was the uh, first and only scholarship student to the Ultimo Dragon Gym. Story behind Tajima is, as the the legend, as it were, Tajima was Ultimo Dragon saw him and saw so much potential in him. He gave him a scholarship. The real story is. One of Ultimo Dragon's friends was friends with, Ta- with Tajima's father, and Tajima's father was rich. But he's like, "Can you please do something? Can you please do something with my no good son?" <laughs> and Dragon said, "Okay, fine. As a favor to you, I'll bring him over to here, and we can turn him into a wrestler." But he just he would go there, and he would always mess. He would make a lot of mistakes, and like Sua would call him long distance from Japan to berate him until he finally gave up and quit and went into the noodle business. I mean, if Sua was going to call me and yell at me, I'd do immediately what he would ask of me. Like that, that's long terrifying. Di- long distance, 
long distance. I mean, it's not a cheap call, but <laughs> anyway. But if you if go back and watch the Tory the the Tory Mon reunion show, he was the big fat guy in the yellow costume in the battle royal. But he had come out of he came back in two thousand six briefly and wrestled for some of he wrestled for tradition and on any of the Ultimo Dragon produced shows and before retiring again, but he came out of retirement to do this show. And uh, he was a name I never expected to, to <laughs> see wrestle again, much less be able to call one of his matches. Well, in this case, you have anything else, I think we're going to call this here. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. This was an absolute blast. No, anytime. Feel free to invite me anytime. I'm just bored and fat like everybody else right now. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I think I'm one of the few people who's willing to be like, all right, let's talk about Taku Owasa, like, and what's the deal with the uh, with the Bulls baseball team. And I know Case was die- chomping at the bit to get a chance to talk to you for a bit. So we really appreciate it, Jay. No, anytime. And anything, anything else? Uh, Case, you got, you got any last pressing questions or something that's no, up? no. This was uh, a fascinating hour for me. I got to listen and have a lot of questions answered that I had had for a long time. So, Jay, thank you for coming on and doing this. This was a blast. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Uh, anything uh, you want to plug before we close this up? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably a big Dragon Gate fan already. So. You're probably already following, but if you're not, please follow the official uh, Dragon Gate social media accounts. That's at Dragon Gate EN, at Dragon Gate English. That's, we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook. Um, you can follow, let's see, what else? Subscribe to the Dragon Gate Network if you haven't. That's dragongate.live. Um, right now, they are working on backfilling the big show archives. Um, working on, I believe it's Dead or Alive right now. They're back, working their way backwards to the first one. I, I think as long as this pandemic is going on and there's no new content, they'll be backfilling. Um, they'll probably do Dangerous Gate next. Um, let's see, follow, be sure to follow Larry Dallas on Twitter. <laughs> Please. The, the, lead, the lead broadcaster of the English commentary team. Also follow Lenny Leonard. He is the lead play-by-play by play-by-play guy when he's the color guy you can follow me at what is my my twitter at dg underscore j spelled j-a-e i am the replacement player on the english commentary team i also will put up um i have an episode like episode guide to torimon or if anything from the archive is added usually i'll say what you should watch from it or if uh there's anything that needs to have context added i'll add on that otherwise i don't post all that much and uh yeah that's about it all right so you could follow me on twitter at fujihaya you can follow case at underscore in your case and the uh, twitter account of the show is at open voice gate we're trying to tweet as much as we can i know that case was tweeting through the mochizuki contra mochizuki match and i was tweeting through the uh, Darkness Dragon versus DK Apuestas match on there as well. But until next time, guys, take care. Wash your hands. Be safe, everyone.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.